February is a month known for many things. At least here in America, anyway. It's a month in which we highlight black history. Honor past heroes and forefathers like Lincoln, Martin Luther King Jr., and Washington. February is usually equated with something else, though. Love, affection, and romance. And it's those sentiments that drive us to our subject today. A film that was groundbreaking for many different reasons, and one that utilized tried and true techniques in fresh and innovative new ways. So if you're like me, and you enjoy film and the impact and emotions they convey, then grab a glass of your preferred liquid and join me for the next little while. For me, that's a glass of Marlowe from our friends at Behringer Winery in California. So sit back, relax, and let's talk about the love of film. Welcome to Glazed Cinema. cinema. I'm happy to see you again. I'm excited for another season to dive into some great films together. After concluding season two, I had to start thinking about this season, and luckily for me, the first episode came fairly quickly thanks to the calendar. February, as I said in the intro, is known for a lot of things, but I wanted to highlight the idea of love and affection. And with that idea, I started building a list. And it didn't take me long for me to land on our subject today. Mechin in Uniform is a film about a teenage girl named Manuela, who is sent to boarding school after the untimely death of her mother. The school is run by a cold headmistress the atmosphere of the school reflects the leader's rule and is oppressive and restraining. Upon arriving, she is at first shy, reserved, quiet, and at odds with the headmistress. Upon meeting a young teacher named Elizabeth von Bernberg, she begins to open up a bit more. As the two women become closer, an attraction begins to grow. But with it comes the attention of the tyrannical headmistress. Mechian in Uniform was directed by Leontine Sagan, who was also a trained actress before turning to directing. She was one of the first female directors in Europe, making her directorial debut with our subject today. Using the play of Yesterday and Today by Krista Winslow as inspiration, Sagan brings attention to themes of feminism 
lesbian rights, and anti-fascism. When she began directing her first feature, German Expressionism was still very much in fashion in her native Austria. However, her film breathed new life into it, resulting in a very different experience aesthetically. To illustrate this clearly, let's talk about this movement in a traditional sense for a bit. Now, I've talked about this movement in past episodes, so if you're a frequent listener or just a fan, you may already be familiar with German Expressionism as a whole. As one of the earliest film movements in cinematic history, German Expressionism was the catalyst to many iconic and influential movies. Among some of the trademarks of the movement was the contrast used to create a world view inside each film. This was done through the iconic use of light and shadow, and odd camera angles, which helped to create unique atmospheres. Set designs also helped with the atmosphere as well, with dramatic backdrops. A lot of the subject matter was somewhere in the realm of dark, horrific, oppressive, brooding, or just plain otherworldly. They also usually depicted male protagonists dealing with some sort of existential problem, be it madness, loss of identity, or coping with the violent world around them. The reasons behind those themes is understandable as well, at least if you think about the time. After all, the height of German Expressionism was in the 1920s. The Great War had just ended, and the outcome was grim, to say the least. Several countries in Europe were destitute and in ruin, and the horrors of the war had begun to reach the psyche of average citizens, as ex-soldiers were coming home, coping with their experiences, and trying to adjust to civilian life once again. By the time filming of our subject today began, however, it was 1930, a full decade after the movement began. Europe and the world itself were in a very different state of being. Apart from that, though, this film had something none of its predecessors did. A female director was leading the effort, and with her came a new vision. And even though this film was made using German Expressionism techniques, it somehow feels very different. And it was purposefully done so. I mean, don't get me wrong, this film bleeds German Expressionism. It is very much inside of the movement. But Sagan somehow managed to carve a shelf in the cabinet of curiosity that is German Expressionism just for herself. In Mentioned in Uniform, we see the iconic contrast of light and shadow being used throughout. However, instead of the technique highlighting fear and dread like so many other films before it, here it highlights tenderness and fragility. No better example of this can be seen than when the two lead characters are embracing for the first time. Their faces become more lit the background more distant and harsh, almost to suggest that when they're together, 
nothing else matters. The story takes place inside of an all-girls boarding school. Run by the headmistress, the rules are strict and the atmosphere suffocating. Many things are banned in the school, including books, and when letters are sent from the female student body, they are read prior to being sent out, just to ensure that certain information is not found out by their parents. The headmistress is frugal, to say the absolute least, and doesn't tend the students' needs very well. They are fed little, given uniforms that are handed down, only replaced when they are deemed unwearable, and kept under the headmistress's tyrannical thumb. The film is told quite wonderfully and is very fluid. It's shot beautifully and the performances feel very natural. It does have a sense of uniqueness to it as it breaks the norms of the movement that it resides in, while still playing by the rules somehow. The film stars two women as the central characters of the plot, both of whom turn out stellar performances. Hertha Thiel plays the leading role of Manuela. Manuela is a 14-year-old girl who is brought to the boarding school by her aunt. A daughter of a military man, her aunt feels that since the loss of her mother, Manuela could use more structure, education, and mentoring from a female influence. Manuela is an emotional girl who cries often and makes friends with a fiery girl named Ilsa. Soon, Manuela fits right in and becomes friends with virtually everybody. The other central character is Fraulein von Bernberg, played by Dorothea Weick. Miss von Bernberg is a teacher and one of the students' favorites. She is sympathetic, caring, and allows the students' freedoms while still being fair. She is also one of the youngest, and certainly the most forward-thinking of them all. She sticks up for her students, and is able to balance structure with understanding. This, along with her looks, makes her the most popular teacher in school. Manuela and von Bernberg seem to hit it off right away during their first meeting. Albeit brief, there seems to be a bit of a spark there. This attraction develops, and each becomes smitten, though they do keep it well hidden from the rest of the school. After all, teacher-student relationships are forbidden, and von Bernberg would like to ensure that all the students feel that they are all equal. Of course, the popular teacher plays a bigger role than that in the story. It's hard to explain, but as much as von Bernberg feels like a real woman, she also feels like an idea. And the headmistress feels much the same, but the opposite side of the coin. Both women are leaders in the school, and each coexist together while regularly opposing each other. 
for me, these two women are not only characters in the plot, but ideals meant to demonstrate a veiled theme. I see the headmistress as a symbol of oppression, leading with an iron fist, bending others for her own will. We see this in her actions, her words, and her demeanor. She is totalitarianism. Von Bernberg symbolizes righteousness, taking action for the betterment of others, leading through a fair and selfless moral code. She is freedom. Interestingly enough, the headmistress gives way to von Bernberg as she recognizes that she is one of her best teachers. That all changes, however, when Manuela has a bit too much of a spiked punch during a school party, and her relationship with the teacher becomes the scandal of the school. As von Bernberg's reputation declines, the headmistress begins tightening the screws of the school, allowed to be loose as freedom becomes jeopardized. This film has had quite the influence in cinema and outside of it as well. Mitchin in Uniform boasts a lot of firsts. It was the first full-length feature directed by a woman, the first film with an all-female cast, and the first film to portray a lesbian love story at its center, and it was the first film to show a kiss between two women attracted to one another. I word the latter of those firsts for a very specific reason. It would be inaccurate for me to say that Mädchen in Uniform was the first film to show two women kissing, as an earlier film has that distinction. However, in that film, the meaning is very different, as the two women are not attracted to each other. In our subject today, that subtext is there, and highlights a major breakthrough in film for the LGBTQ community. One of my favorite scenes is when von Bernberg is leading a class where the students are taking turns reading an excerpt aloud. While listening and monitoring, von Bernberg begins to daydream. We see this as she looks out over the students, and Benuela's face begins to come into focus, covering her view of the classroom until she snapped out of it before Manuela begins to speak. It's a simple technique that speaks volumes about something we're all familiar with. Attraction. I love that scene for its delivery, but also as it's really the first time that we see that the feeling Manuela has towards von Bernberg is mutual. Another great scene is when von Bernberg is arguing with the headmistress and defending herself and Manuela. At this point in the film, the scandal is known, and both parties are feeling pressure from the powers that be. The headmistress states that what they've done is sinful, to which the young teacher retorts, What you call sin, headmistress, 
I call the great spirit of love, which takes on a thousand forms. The fact that this film boasts so many firsts is simply incredible. After its release, it opened a lot of doors and sparked conversations around the world. It was celebrated in many parts of Europe, including Germany upon its release, which I found particularly interesting. It wasn't until I did some research, though, that I found something even more fascinating. Something that hopefully you, too, find some intrigue in. I take us off course for a brief history lesson, but I promise we'll get back on track. When I think of Germany in the early 30s, the classic analogy, the calm before the storm, comes into mind. Admittedly, though, I didn't know too much about the country during this time. What was it like? But specifically, what was it like for the homosexual community? Well, let me tell you, it was not what I expected. A lot of that had to do with the time period of the early 30s, which was toward the end of an era called the Weimar Republic. Believe it or not, around 1930 and 1931, Germany was pretty liberal and forward-thinking. There was also a thriving homosexual community, especially in metropolitan cities like Berlin. To give you an idea, there were more than 70 bars for the queer community in Berlin alone. A lot of that was thanks to strides the government made in providing freedoms to its citizens, although there were some laws that were, well, not so great. But by the time the 30s arrived, there were homosexual magazines like Der Eigene and Die Freunden being sold at newsstands across the country. There was also a man named Magnus Hirschfeld, who came up a lot in my research, and for good reason. He was a tremendous activist for his community, fighting for equal rights and defending the LGBTQ community against persecution. He founded the world's first gay rights organization, the Scientific Humanitarian Committee. He also founded the Institute for Sexual Science, which presented scientific evidence that gender and sexuality existed on a spectrum, which was the first institute of its kind. He also founded the World League for Sexual Reform, which was an activist organization for the queer community. All this to say, Mr. Hirschfeld was pretty amazing and took great strides to build understanding and acceptance, and cultivated a space for the LGBTQ community in Germany. All those things I never knew about, and I found very interesting when I learned about them in my research. Despite these great strides and breakthroughs, not everyone was as receptive. This film caused a lot of waves upon its release in 1931, which led to negative reactions. It was very controversial for the time, because it was so unique and so forward-thinking, but also because of the subject matter it depicted. 
many countries banned the film or had it altered to fit censorship laws. In fact, it was nearly banned here in America when it arrived on our doorstep in 1931 as well. But there was one person who saved the film from being blacklisted. A woman who, upon watching the film, saw the message within and fought to save it. Who was she? She was the First Lady of New York at the time, Eleanor Roosevelt. She spoke highly of it and fought for its release, which resulted in a censored version getting limited showing around the country. Eventually, the storm did hit Europe. In 1933, the evolution gained in freedoms began to be repressed with the arrival of the Nazi party. All the magazines, communities, freedoms of expression for the LGBTQ community all but completely vanished just a few years later. Mr. Hirschfeld, that man who founded all of those great institutions, fled to Switzerland after repeated beatings, interruptions to his lectures, and other oppressive acts. For cinema, film stock of previous years, films that didn't fit the agenda or were deemed too progressive were utterly destroyed. Machen in Uniform, unfortunately, was one of those films. It only survived due to film stock being kept elsewhere around the world. Some of its counterparts, unfortunately, were not so lucky. Though it survived, it was still heavily censored to the public around the world throughout the Second World War, and in some cases, including here in the United States, the uncensored version wasn't shown until the 1970s. Since that emergence, however, Mention in Uniform has become a great symbol and cornerstone for not just feminist expression, but for the expression of the entire LGBTQ community. Though not known by many, this film is an important work in cinematic history. It's a wonderful and entertaining film that I hope you watch and enjoy. If you'd like to watch Medchen in Uniform for yourself, you can find it on a couple streaming services. At the time of this recording, you can find it on Kino Cult. Kino Cult is a free streaming service from our friends at Kino Lorber, with a nice variety of film offerings, ranging from the serious, the subversive, the odd, and the underground variety. You can also find it on Plex. Plex is another free streaming service and offers a diverse catalog of offerings. This episode was written and recorded by me, Brian Kinney, with music by Kevin McLeod. If you like this, if you like this podcast, tell your friends and follow us on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. Each week, there will be new content, including hints about episodes before they air. 
If you'd like to learn more about the podcast, visit our website at glazedcinema.com. There you'll find more info about the show and a place to submit ideas for future episodes. For film fans who are hearing impaired, the blog page on our website features each episode in written form as well. As always, thanks for listening, and I hope to see you next time with another beverage and another fine film on Glazed Cinema.